0: Well, good morning, Village Church East. It is so good to see you this morning. We are in the middle of a series that we began, actually, with Pastor Paul last week. Did you enjoy Pastor Paul's testimony last week? Wasn't that amazing? If you missed that, uh, you can visit that. We have that forever online, and you can see his testimony, how God changed his life. It's a potential series that we're in right now. We're going to do four Sundays. This is the second Sunday. Last week was the potential of a life changed, and this week is potential Of a dedicated family. Uh, Yes, so the kids, uh, thanks for sticking around and putting up with us for a little bit longer. Have fun out there. Uh, Thank you. In the sunshine, you're going to have fun out there. Good to see you kids again. All right. So we are going to talk about what better day to do it than today as we're uh, reemphasizing our family and open our kids ministry again. We're going to talk a little bit about family. So here's your very first question, all right? You're probably thinking to yourself, Craig, it's always an easy question. Just give it to me. Okay, here it is. And you might think it's easy, but uh, what I would like for you to do is turn to the person next to you and give them a definition of family. What is a Family. Go. Mm. Some of you are participating. Some of you are waiting the time out, waiting the clock out. You at home can do this as well. Definition of family. If you you don't have somebody to talk to because you're alone, people think you smell or something, just think of a definition of family for yourself, okay? So was that a hard job to do or an easy job to do? It's a little it's a little weird isn't it? For me I'm starting to think to myself what is the definition of a family? Is it a committed group of people? Is it a mom and dad who have children? Is it the group of people you just roll with through the through through the process of life? Is it different people as you move from place to place and you do have different people that mean something to you in this place and then different people that mean something to you in this place? It's surprisingly a difficult question. To answer Now, let me give you some statistics because if you're watching the, po- uh, watching, if you're listening to the podcast, I have the face built for radio. If, you have, if you're watch- listening ugh, to the podcast, uh, I'm trying to insert a little bit more statistics in there so that we have an understanding of how our culture is progressing, what's happening, what's, what's changing in our culture. So here's something that I think you will enjoy, all right? Everybody, almost everybody in America considers family to be important. 85% of people in America claim that family is the most important thing in their lives. That's ironic considering how difficult it is for us to find a standard definition of family. Like, I like food. So I can tell you certain foods I really like. It's not hard for me. But if people say family is the most important thing, up to 85% of the population, and yet we have a really difficult time understanding what a family is, that's a little weird to me. Somebody said, having family means having a place to go, having somebody to love, and having both is a blessing. Winston Churchill said, family is where all the greatest virtues, the most dominating virtues of humanity are created, strengthened, and maintained. Robert Frost says, family is where when, when you get there, they have to take you in. <laughs> George Burns says, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> How do we define family? One decade ago, in 2010... Here's how family was defined. Almost 99% of the population was asked this question in 2010. 99% of people said a family is defined as a husband, wife, and kids. That's how they define family. 92% said that a husband and wife without kids still qualifies as a family. However... In 2021, the majority of Americans believe family is not defined by biology, marriage, or even a common dwelling place. Family, the people, family is defined more so today as the people you feel safe around and you can count on when you need them. Now, I have to tell you, this kind of talk about family is very gray to me. There's not a lot of meat and potatoes in it. For instance, can I be family with the people I work with? Can I be family with my class at school? What's the difference between a gang and a family? Why can't I claim my neighbor's kids as my family on my tax returns? (laughs) According to the U.S. government, by the way, the U.S. government that is supposed to be extremely inclusive, they do not bend on their their definition of family. You want to know why? Because they want your money. That's right. The U.S. Census Bureau has never changed the definition of family since 1930 when they invented the definition to begin with. Here's the definition. They define a family in the following manner. A family is a group of two people or more, one of whom is a householder, related by birth, marriage, or adoption, and residing together. The government is clear on this, but the general population seems to be not so clear. My big question is why? Now, especially because when we look in scripture at what family means, for us as believers, what should family mean to us? What sh- how should we define it? How should we live it out? How should we protect it? How should we value this thing called family? We need to have a good definition as to what family really means. To be fair, I think we might need another word. I think people love the idea of family so much that they apply that word to a bunch of different categories. And I don't fault them for that. Because family is incredibly important to, apparently, 98% of the population. The problem is we have put that word family in a lot of different new categories. When in reality, we probably need to at least start with God's definition of family. For instance, if God were sitting beside you today, which I know he is, uh, so but let's say Jesus was actually physically sitting beside you and you were to ask him that question, how do you define family? I wonder what Jesus would say. After all, it was his idea to begin with. God had a definition for family. It was his purpose in creating that he would create Families. My goal this morning is to pull us a little bit out of the culture and give us a moment of clarity to see what the person who invented family intended for family to be and to function like. God begins first with Adam. The last day of creation, God creates all of creation. Did you know, by the way, I miss so much of this growing up. I have to tell you, theology is a wonderful thing. It's not boring. It's not dry if it's taught well. For instance, creation. God created you know, the sun and the moon and the stars and the plants and the animals and all of those things. Do you know why God created all those things? Like, was he bored? He just woke up one morning and go, I think I'll create a planet. He, or I think I'll create a universe. He didn't do that. He creates, he does everything on purpose. Do you know why he created everything that there is? Because he waited until the last day to create his masterpiece. God created humans, the only thing, in his own image. Out of all the things that you see around you on a regular basis, only humans are created in the image of God. Do you know why God created everything before he finished with the human? Because everything that he created was for the human. We know this because he said, I've given you all of these things. It literally says that in Genesis. I give you all of these things to enjoy. Isn't it great to be in a church where where you hear your pastor say, you know what, you live in this world? Have fun. Enjoy it. That's what it's for. It is your gift to enjoy. God creates six days of creation, well, five days of creation. On the sixth day, he creates the human being, male, male, individual Adam, and then he says, Adam, all of this is for you. But there was a problem with Adam. Adam was alone. The only relationship that Adam had was with God. So God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a relationship. Like I have a relationship within the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Since you are created in my image, you have a yearning to have relationships. God created us in his image, which means he thinks, we think. He speaks, we speak. He reasons, we reason. He loves, we love. You understand? Everything that God does, we do because we're created in his image. God loves relationship. He has that within the Trinity. So when God creates Adam, but there's no Eve, he realizes Adam is missing something valuable. Relationship. And so God creates Eve. Adam was not complete on his own. When Adam was alone, there was an absence of family. There was an absence of relationship. There was no one-on-one give and take. Adam was not complete. We know this because the worst thing you can do to an individual is put them in solitary confinement. Anybody say, COVID? (laughs) COVID. Most people had a really crummy year last year because a big part of it is most people were alone. At least once in a while, they were alone with their family in their house. Can you imagine being alone in an apartment by yourself for a year? Impossible, right? We are not built to function that way. We are built to have relationships. Let me insert a moment here. If you're at home and you're enjoying these things, these services at home in your PJs with coffee, good for you, but you're missing out on relationships, on, on, on seeing one another, on bumping into each other, on, on serving one another. And so I would encourage you to come back to church. Let's fill this building up again. And each week that goes by, it's so good to see it continue to, to, to get larger and larger. Our goal is to give you an opportunity to live out the image of God in you by interacting with one another. And we do that in church. We do that when we gather on Sundays. Anyway, back to this. Adam was alone, and it wasn't good that he was alone. Let me pick it up in Genesis 2, verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, read this with me, church, will you? But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. You know what that means? He's alone. Can you imagine being alone on a planet? There's no one here for you. And God has him name all of these animals. We don't know when exactly Eve was created. It's very hard to figure that out as far as a timeline goes. But what we do know is Adam had long enough to, to look at all of two giraffes, two aardvarks, two, you know, two hippopotamus, two, 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 or more than two at that time. I don't know. There's probably more than two. And he's, he's looking at all this. And he goes, I'm going to name that an aardvark. Well, I don't know how he came up with that, but super duper. So that's a platypus. So he names all the animals. At the end of that big, long activity, Adam sees two, four, two, two, four, two, whatever, all of these different, and then he looks at himself and he goes, wait a minute. None of those look like me. Where's somebody for me? So God makes Adam do this activity where he realizes he's alone. He needs somebody else, somebody else to make him into a family. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Isn't it interesting how woman and man are very similar words? In the, in the Hebrew, it's the same way, ish and isha. Isha is the man, isha is the woman. They're similar words because we're similar individuals. We are made in the image of God. There's nothing like elephant is not made in the image of God tree is not made in the only the human being is. And it had to be an amazing, can you imagine God bringing, not not just a woman, but the woman flawless that he has just created, brings him, brings her to the man. Had to be an incredible moment. Verse 23, then the man said, this is at last. Get that? I don't know how long it is. We're not told, but we're told it, it was long enough for Adam. He didn't want to be alone. At last, there's somebody for me. This is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, woman, because she was taken out of the each, the man. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and will hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. From this point on, a son would grow up, get married, and they would start a new family. This is the beginning of family. The first family was Adam and Eve. Without children, first family. Made up of two individuals who had no other family that they called family. Like this new family. By the way, when you go to a wedding, I don't know if you've ever seen, have you ever seen the unity candle at a wedding? The unity candle represents this truth in scripture. One candle is lit by one family, the other candle is lit by the other family, a representative of those families. And when those two individuals walk down the aisle, well, one walks down the other, the other one hopes that he'll see her walk down the aisle. When they finally do get married, they go up on the platform. The one who takes, uh, each child takes the candle represented by their family. They, they put the match in the middle candle, then they put the candle down and they blow that candle out. That is representation that a new family has begun. The two will become one flesh. This is what God intends. Jesus, by the way, picks this up. Jesus knows this, and when he preached, when he taught, he said exactly the same thing. In fact, he quoted the same passage of Scripture. Jesus answered this way. When he was asked about marriage and family, Look at what Jesus said, Matthew 19, verse four. He answered, have you not read? I always love that about Jesus. He always says, aren't you reading your Bible? Like you're asking me, you don't know this? It's serious, it's been written down for a thousand years. You don't know this? Haven't you read? He always says, haven't you read or haven't you heard as it is written? It's always that way. Jesus is always pointing to the Old Testament. If you believe that what Jesus says is a whole new rendition of what Jesus came up with and forget the Old Testament, you are sadly mistaken because Jesus is always saying, as it is written, or haven't you read? Jesus is always referring to the Old Testament. You know what that tells me? The whole Bible is inspired by God, and all of it is important for us. Jesus says, as it is written, have you not read? He who created them from the beginning, does it sound familiar? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore shall I... Uh, uh, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis 2. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus simply said, haven't you read this before? God made two people in order to create one family. Two becoming one is a cornerstone of what it means for a family to begin leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh. And after they become one flesh, they create the potential of creating more families. This is what God intended for family to be since the beginning. I'm not coming up with that. Jesus reiterated it in the New Testament. And by the way, it's reiterated all the way through the New Testament. Well Craig, can two people not have children and still be a family? Yes, that's the point. A family is when one male and one female get together to create a brand new entity called a family. They join in marriage, and they create the potential of creating more families. Can two people adopt and still be a family? Absolutely. Do you know who came up with adoption, by the way? God did. It's not something that we invented. God invented it. You remember Eli and Samuel? I was talking to Abby about this earlier. Eli adopted Samuel when his, when his mother Hannah dropped her off at the temple. You remember? This adoption idea is nothing new. In fact, in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament Hebrews had slaves, we already talked about this in Leviticus, uh, in, in Exodus 20, when, they, when the Hebrews brought in slaves, they were to consider them part of their family. They were to treat them like family. They were to get them, make sure that they got married and had kids and all of those things, treat them like family. This exception was put into play by the God who invented families. So adoption is also God's invention. Marriage has always been the cornerstone of a new family. It's always been that way. Every family unit begins with two people committing to one another in marriage. It's exclusive in priority. You leave one family to cleave to another person. You leave your family, mom and dad, and you go to cleave to somebody else. That's the beginning of a new family. So parents, 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 it's important for you to let your kid, to force your kids to leave. Because if your kid gets married but has a hard time leaving you, you're going to create problems in that new family. So it's important for kids to leave. It's important for parents to let them go. Leave is the first one. Number two, it's... It is exclusive in membership. There are two people in this relationship, not four, not six. There are two people that begin this new family. One plus one, in this case, equals one. One plus one equals one. Again, the closest thing we have to the Trinity is marriage. One plus one plus one in the Trinity equals one. One plus one in the marriage equals one. The two will become one flesh. It's exclusive in membership. It's exclusive in intimacy. One flesh means sex that you have in marriage becomes the seal of that partnership. Your intimate relationship that you have with your spouse becomes the exclusive activity that that shows you belong to the other person and they belong to you. You don't share that with anybody else. That's what it was intended for. Leave, cleave, one flesh. This is all in the marriage context. Lastly, it's exclusive for a lifetime. I love what Jesus added here. You notice in Genesis 2, it does not say what God joined together, let no one separate. It doesn't say that in Genesis. Jesus added that. Why did he add that? He added it because he understood the sanctity of the new family that begins with the marriage commitment. What God has joined together, let no one separate. It's a commitment for life. Now, if you think that's heavy duty, join the club, because after Jesus says this, those people that were listening to him said, oh, well, uh, who's able to get married? And Jesus says, now you got it. You can read about it if if you'd like to in this passage that we just read. Go home and read more in Matthew 19. But Jesus says, yes, marriage is a very serious commitment. I tell people when I do marriage counseling, I said, you gotta know my job is to talk you out of this. Because if I can talk you out of getting married, there's no way you should be getting married. Your job is to convince me that God is putting you guys together. And on that day when you take your vows in front of me and his church before God, you are committing to a marriage, a relationship that lasts a lifetime. The sexual relationship between a male and female was evidence that these two were one and they would be one forever. I gotta tell you, I think one of the reasons we're losing the battle for family today and we're losing the battle on marriage today is because we've lost the battle on the sexual relationship. We don't even talk, we're not even allowed to talk about that anymore. And you may be sitting here thinking to yourself, Greg, I don't think we should be talking about that in church. Oy. Do you understand? This is a gift from God. <laughs> it's a really special gift from God. It's meant to join two people together like nothing else on the planet. It is powerful. That's why every song you ever hear is written about it. <laughs> Some not so good. Some mistaking what this act of marriage really means. In our world today, the sex between a man and a woman has turned into simple animal desire. It's nothing terribly special anymore. It's just talked about. It's, it's, it's thrown on the table like it's not anything special at all. But this is God's gift. If you think about it like a like a wedding that you go to and everybody brings your toaster or whatever and puts it on the back table and you get all these wonderful package gifts and you go, hey, another toaster, you know? The gift that God brings for you, the gift that God gives your marriage is a sexual relationship. That's his gift to you. You get to express that forever with one person. It is the glue that holds you together. The system that God created for us, however, has become messed up and now there are family units everywhere because that act made to be, be, be uh, 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 indulged in in the marriage context is indulged in everywhere. Children now are constantly growing up without fathers and mothers. They're being raised by grandparents if they're lucky. Sometimes they're not raised by friends at all. Children are constantly given up for adoption. Children are constantly aborted from the womb. The most unsafe place to be in, the, in America today is inside a mother's womb. You know, last year we killed more babies in the womb than in every war we have ever been involved with as Americans. Uh, we, we th- and we don't talk about that anymore because that's, you know, it's a battle we lost. It's something we, we shouldn't talk about in church anymore. I beg to differ. Because if we regarded the sexual relationship as what God intended, we wouldn't have this issue. But we don't. And in church, we, we don't talk about it a whole lot because it's, it's something that's almost passe in church. So, we don't talk about it, and the world sells it as a commodity. And when it happens, the family unit loses its place that God intends. The family unit is degraded. The church has simply stopped preaching on the sanctity of sexuality, and this is, I believe, where we lost our battle for marriage. I believe families are in jeopardy today because marriages are in jeopardy today. Here's a historical view of the family. Societies have always been built on families. It, it's not always like it's, it has been in America, but there was always a root, a name that you cling to. Uh, for us in the Jarvis family, it's Jervis. We came from the Vikings. I know you probably can tell that by looking at me, uh, but we came from <laughs> we came from the Vikings. The root of the Jer- Jarvis name is Jarvis. It's a it, 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 sometimes in, in history, they were called rods or stems. Some people believe that, that uh, the people the, the, the ancestors would carry around staffs with symbols on them that would, that would designate their, ro- this rod would designate their name. Like the kilt in, uh, in Scotland, you know, those all designate a name. Did you know that? Kilts are all different from different areas of Scotland. These were the names. It's, it's been like this all throughout history. Your name gives you clout. It was the name that you carried around. It was your, your rod or your stem. The individual family is found in this root. That's why in the Old Testament, you'll read that, um, uh, that Jesus is from the root of Jesse. You remember those, those conversations in scripture? You always have from the root of Jesse. Or, or Beit Ab, you probably don't recognize that, but that's from father's house. So my Beit Ab would be Daryl Jarvis. My father's house is Jarvis. The father's house was the nucleus of the sub-tribe, making up the entire tribe. And your your family unit, the stronger you could make your family unit, the stronger your tribe became. And the stronger your tribe became, the stronger your, your nation became. So the family was a part of your clan, the clan was a part of the tribe, and the tribe was a part of the nation. Every family was responsible to make sure your family did what it needed to do. Be a strong family. Have kids that grow up to be, th- th- that would be uh, helpful in society. Not loser kids. You, you want to make sure that your kids are hardworking, that you're hardworking. And-, and, the- and the more you did, the stronger your clan became, the stronger your tribe became, and the stronger your nation would become. The family was the key to these groups of people. And every person, fathers, wives, husbands, Uh, uh, mothers, children, everybody had a job to do and everybody needed to make sure they did their job really well. And when you did, your nation would prosper. In the Asian culture, I've in my, uh, in my uh, study at home, I have a door hanger. And uh, apparently on some homes in the Asian culture, when you go up and you knock on the door, uh, either the, 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 the uh, door handles that open the door or the door knocker will have all kinds of pictures on it. And those pictures would depict the history of the family behind that door. Family was legacy. Family added to the nation. And every person had to play their role well in order for their families to function well. This is, I believe, a God thing. It's always been like this. Without families defined and operating God's way, society will crumble. And you can read through history, if you're a history buff, you will find families crumbling and then nations falling. It's no wonder why Christians are so protective of their family units. We recognize family is God's invention and it's a gift from him to us. And so if we are married and begun our own family, we protect that. If we have children, we protect that family unit. We don't want our kids to grow up like like moochers of of society. We want to make them contributors, helpful. It begins by them helping and contributing in the home. That's why the only command given to children is honor your father and mother. Because if you don't honor your father and mother, you ain't going to honor anybody else when you get out of that house. We have to teach our children to honor, to obey, to do what they are, and the children have to recognize while they are in that home, in that family, their sole responsibility is to honor their parents. Husbands, we are called to to act a certain way. We'll get to this next week when we get to Father's Day. I always love Father's Day. Mother's Day, I have to massage the moms and tell them what a great job they're doing. Fathers, I get to kick in your pants, so wait till next Sunday. It'll be a lot of fun. No no dads are ever going to show up next Sunday. Family was a base of operations for the kingdom to be seen in our culture, for God to be seen in our culture. God created it that way. That's why in our church constitution, we write it right there for you to see. Here's what it says, just in case you haven't read it. This is one of our values at Village Church. We believe that God's primary building block for culture in his church is the family. This is right in our constitution. If you're a part of Village, you should know this is what you're signing up for. God instituted the family to work correctly when it functions on the principles of his word. Though though both husband and wife are equal in value, they have different primary roles. The husband has a primacy of responsibility, not sole responsibility, to lead, provide for, and protect his family, thereby uniquely imaging God. The wife has a primacy of responsibility, not sole responsibility, to and nurture, thereby uniquely imaging God. There, together, God has designed them both to collaborate in raising children who are brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When the family functions as God, as God intends, success is not guaranteed, but it can be expected. Let me say that one more time. When the family functions as God intends, success is not guaranteed, but it should be expected. Harmony in the family was important to have harmony in the nation. When these roles were thrown off, the risk was to the entire nation, not simply the individual in that family or the clan. So it was essential that these roles would be lived out together. Husbands, your role is to, oh my goodness. Husbands, your, goal, your role in the family in Ephesians five, your, your role is to, starts with an L, ends with an E, has an OV in the middle of it. Okay, husbands, your responsibility is to love your wife. Wives, your responsibility is to respect and honor your husband. Children, your responsibility is to honor your parents. By the way, it says in Exodus 20:12. listen to the exact words. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. In other words, children, there's a promise attached to how well you do here. Now, in the Old Testament, this clearly referred to the promised land that they were going to. But for us... In the New Testament, there's a longevity pl- a plan, a longevity promise that is given to children that do this well in the home. And that is, you, will ha- you should have success in life if you do this well. Fathers, don't exasperate your children to wrath. <laughs> That's another good one in Ephesians. The emphasis is always on the family legacy. Every person completes their role so that families can be strong. If a child is disobedient, it didn't just become a threat to the family, it became a threat to society. Now, these days, families are under attack. They always have been. But these days, perhaps rarely in my life, I've never seen it this way. Families are strained and even broken apart. Like I said, it's always been this way. Uh, who, Who sinned first? It's okay, you can say it. Eve, it was Eve. Yeah, okay, so Eve sinned first. She ate from the tree she wasn't supposed to. Then she gave it to Adam, who sinned second. Adam. By the way, Adam was with her at that tree. Read it carefully, and you'll find that both of them were together. Adam and Eve both sinned, and as soon as they sinned, what happened? Their relationship was strained. In fact, it changed forever. When Adam and Eve sinned, it affected their relationship. First of all, they hid from God, and then they hid from each other. You ever find that? When you sin, isn't the first thing you want to do, and you're found out, isn't the first thing you want to do is to get to the darkest place possible? Nobody can find me. Nobody can see me. I gotta go somewhere where I, I always know this. But once in a while, people will stop coming to church for a while and I always think to myself, eh, they're probably struggling with a sin. Got out of the closet. For some reason, other people see it and now they're embarrassed. They hid from God and then they hid from one another and then they blamed each other. And then what happened? What is the next event that happened in scripture? Their son killed their other son. You see, when sin comes into a relationship, it affects the primary relationship first. That's you and your husband, you and your wife. And then it will bleed down to your children. And it's no mistake that the first thing that they experienced was the breaking of family. Their sin wrecked the greatest gift God gave them. The punch of sin always lands squarely on the chin of the greatest relationship God blesses us with. Sin causes husbands to stop committing to their wives, to break their commitment. Sin causes wives to resent their husbands. Sin causes children to rebel. Sin ultimately leads to physical death which breaks up families for our life here on the planet. I gotta tell you, my dad passed away a couple of years ago and I miss him every day. That kind of thing is not supposed to happen. Did you know that? Death is not supposed to break families apart. Death came because sin came. Sin destroyed everything about family. Some of the saddest people walking the planet are people who've been married and had great marriages for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. They lose their spouse, and for the first time, they're alone. They understand the pain of sin. Sin brings, sin wrecks everything it touches. And make no mistake, if the greatest blessing we have, according to 98% of people, if the greatest blessing we have, according to people who love God and people who don't care about God whatsoever, if the greatest blessing we experience on this planet is family, make no mistake, Satan will go after that blessing first. Families are under attack because. Satan is alive and well. And he wants nothing more than to destroy your family. His goal is to make sure your worst moment is coming home to your family at the end of the day. I've talked to, to, to dads who have been, who've been caught in sin and, and just they, they express this to me and I never understood it because I've never experienced that. For me, the smile at the end of my day is coming home to my family. Some, some guys will avoid their families. And the reason is because they've allowed some sin to creep in and destroy the greatest blessing God has given to them. I read to you again, Matthew 19. Listen to what Jesus said. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate Where does Jesus go to for his definition of families? Right back to the beginning of time. Who made males and females to create a new family? God did. Who brings these families together? What God has joined together. Who breaks families apart? Humans, one way or another, by letting sin come into their relationships. (sighs) Less than 20 years ago, lawmakers tried to pass an amendment called the Marriage Amendment. They knew the value of marriage and the family. Here's what the amendment said. Marriage in the United States shall consist only of the union of a man and a woman. That was was just about 20 years ago. Marriage should have an exclusiveness, is what they said, in this relationship. An exclusiveness to this. Lawmakers wanted to protect it pushed the amendment through, the Supreme Court shut it down. You know this, this is all history. Within 10 years of that move, same-sex marriage became the law of the land. And the rolling ball has not stopped. Now, relationship rights between two individuals are now called family rights. This is on purpose. Relationship rights are defined as marriage rights. This is why those same-sex relationships now have turned into same-sex Marriages. Before long, we will no longer be able to identify what a family is, define it according to the way that God defines it, because it will become too countercultural. Even for me, reading Matthew 19 from the lips of Jesus himself sounds out of touch. Why do you think Jesus started with, haven't you read, from the beginning, God created them male and female? Why didn't he just start with, you know what marriage is? You leave one family, you cleave to another family, you become one flesh. Why didn't he start there? That's marriage. Why did he go all the way back to, haven't you read, this is why God created males and females? Jesus was not mistaken, but people in our world are today. Males are created for females, and females are created for males. That begins families. I did a message on family about 15 years ago (laughs) as the Supreme Court was going through their motion of trying to figure out how to handle the same-sex marriage issues. And I got to tell you, it was a lot easier to define family back then. It was a lot easier to have conversations back then. But even now, as I'm on camera being broadcast all all over the place, and as you in-house are listening to this, even you are thinking to yourself, Craig, I think that's a little out of touch. Isn't it amazing how times change so fast? I'm giving you a definition of family from the one who invented it. And it sounds like I'm a bigot. When I tell people about history, even in their own lifetimes, they simply don't believe it. When I tell them Hillary Clinton, and when I tell them Barack Obama, both ran in their initial run of presidency Both ran on the premise that they would hold up that legislation, marriages between a man and a woman. They were not embarrassed to say it. You can can look it up on the internet if it hasn't been erased. It's all over the place. They ran on that. It's amazing what happened in the next 15 years. This is the only society in all of recorded history that is messing with the definition of family. Family. Let me say that one more time. This is the only society in the history of the world that is messing with the definition of family. And it's on purpose. Remember all of those things I told you? You know, you carry a staff. You got your, you got your little kilt. You, this is my family, family. Everybody knew what family was. It doesn't matter what culture you were in. doesn't matter what indigenous tribe you find. Every person had an intrinsic knowledge of what family is. In our culture today, we are not messing just with the sexual relationships. We are messing with the definition of family. And because of that, we're sitting here thinking to ourselves, I don't think we should be talking about this in church. The problem here begins when the act of marriage is taken out of context and we begin to treat sexual relationships like they're not important and the ball rolls. It's inevitable when the act of marriage becomes an activity and nothing more. We need to protect this activity within the confines of marriage. We need to teach our children this. Now you have a group of people identifying themselves with nothing more than that activity. Listen, if you identify yourself as something that, by the color of your skin or by your sexual preference or by anything else, the the world tells you you must identify as, please don't put yourself in a bucket like that. You are way too important to God. You are created as an image of God, first and foremost. Nothing else has that privilege but you. (laughs) You are human. There is not multiple races, there is one race. That race was created by God and we are all part of it if we are humans. God's plan for the potential of our lives is directly attached to the health of our families so individually we must guard our male-female families as a, as a building blocks. God created families to be exclusive and the marriage covenant was meant to be the exclusive beginning relationship upon which every family stands the potential for your family depends on you getting this right to be very honest with your kids this, this you got to teach us at home it's very countercultural you'll sound judgy i know more and more every day i know but the question is are we going to look through scripture through the eyes of culture or are we going to look through culture through the eyes of scripture one changes constantly one never does. Malachi 2.15 says this. Did he not make them one? The speaking of God. Did he not make them one with a portion of spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? What was God seeking when he created marriage? When he created males and females to come together to be married? What was he seeking? Church? You can say it. It's right there. What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. So, guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of, the, of your youth. A dedicated woman and a dedicated husband, wife, and man is the building block for every family unit. Listen, in our efforts to live in this culture, we cannot pretend that broken marriages, broken relationships, all of a sudden are not just acceptable, but they're actually good for our culture. That's crazy talk. Every single stat that you will look at, every single one it will tell you the truth. It is better for kids to come from a healthy father-mother relationship where two spouses are at home. Children will only benefit from having a healthy family unit that begins with a mother and father. Only 64%, unfortunately, of children today live in homes where two parents are present, married, and, 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 and present in their lives. I could give you statistics, there are hundreds of these, but poverty, teenage pregnancy, dropout rate, suicide rate, emotional challenges, economic status, prison, prison attendance, all of these rise when you only have one spouse or no spouse raising children. Now again, we could not talk about this because it's very uncomfortable or we could tell the truth to our children so that they don't make the same mistakes. Sin lives to ruin all good things. No one gets married ever hoping that their marriage will break apart someday. That's ridiculous. Why are you getting married? Well, I hope my life will fall apart in five years. Nobody ever gets married hoping their marriage relationship will break apart. But it happens. Sin creeps in. One spouse, the other spouse, somehow. The onslaught of life sometimes breaks those marriages apart. And at the same time, those parents desperately wish their kids will never go through the same pain, right? Right? That's why we need to speak about family. Family is God's gift to the world. It's no wonder Satan can do everything he can do to confuse it, damage it, get us not to talk about it, and finally destroy it. And I think in our efforts to not offend, we're falling victim. Satan has been very successful in blowing up marriages and getting us to not talk about it. Now, we talked about a lot of different subjects here this morning, and I want to give you a reference, a resource, all right? Here's the resource if you want to look at it. Um, I talked with Michael before I did this message, and he reminded me we did this Q&A. It's number 0370. You can go on our website. You can download it. It's that one and the next one. Actually, he and I were talking about families and what it means to be families, and some of the changes four years ago, I had a conversation with him. So you can Check that out if you'd like to. I spoke on on families, like I told you, several years ago, and I can remember it it was just a difficult conversation like it is this morning. I'm not having fun up here. It was a difficult conversation because I know there are a lot of different ears listening to this. A lot of people have gone through divorce. A lot of people are watching that have children that are are wandering away from the Lord. A lot of parents have really tried to do the best they could and their, their children have not turned out like they had hoped. A lot of children hate their parents. I know that. I live in the same world you do, but I got to preach the whole counsel of God. And if family is important to God, it's got to be important to us. So I preached it several years ago, different church. <laughs> There's this one lady in the church. She was an elderly lady. I love her like nobody's business. She'd been divorced a few times. She'd come to know the Lord She'd realized the damage that those divorces had, had caused. And I could see her out there as I was preaching this message on the sanctity of marriage and li- marriage for a lifetime and dedication to one another and what God intends. And I could see her and I'm thinking to myself, how is she hearing me now? So I went to the back like I always did and I waited. And sure as shooting, as soon as the service was over, like a bee line, she moved right toward me. She grabbed my hand and I prepared for the worst. She grabbed my hand and she said, Craig, you did a good job this morning. (laughs) I said, thank God, all right, good. We're starting off on a good, good, good. She said, you know I've been divorced a few times in my life. Nobody will know how painful that was for me. So more than anything, the next generation needs to not make the same mistakes I did. So listen, church, we've, we've got to keep this family thing where it belongs, It is the first thing God came up with. God literally brought a marriage gift to each of us that we are supposed to enjoy for a lifetime. Is it hard? Yes. (laughs) Anyone who has a good marriage will tell you it's hard. (laughs) Beth has had a really difficult time. (laughs) It's hard. But I want to tell you, we have got to protect it so the next generation doesn't make the same mistakes we do. They've got to see a good example in us. If your kid wants to learn forgiveness, they need to see it in the way you treat your spouse. If, your kid, if you want your kid to learn patience, they need to see it in you. If your kid needs to know how to keep their words in check, they need to see it in you. If your kid's got an anger issue, teach them how to be kind and considerate in the home. There's a lot riding on families. The strength of our nation is the least of it. We must be vigilant on highlighting the potential of families. There are pathways of success we can lay down for the next generation, and we need to tell them about it. All right, I am totally out of time. Shoot. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about how Jesus changed family around. In two weeks, we're going to talk about the potential of a church led by Jesus Christ. And um, I'm gonna—I'll pull this stuff over there because it's—it's it's pretty good stuff, and I'll make reference to it. All right. Here's some so what's for you today. Number one, you and your family should become a part of God's family while you still can. If you want the gas in your engine to be high octane, you have got to surrender to God personally first. You will never be able to do this on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Satan seeks, like a roaring lion, people to devour. But Jesus has given us the ability to overcome. In fact, we are more than overcomers through him who loved us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You need to become a part of God's family while you can. You may look around you and say to yourself, all these people have it together. You haven't met the people that I've met. We don't have it together, we just have extra help as we go through life. We're all still struggling to pay our bills, keep our marriages together, honor our parents, discipline our children correctly, live lives of purity, control our thought lives, control our tongues, control our anger, control the need to be in control. We all still fight with this. You're not in this on your own. But the family of God is for this purpose. It's so that if you have, if you need a good example of a struggling family that's growing closer to God as the years go on, find a good church and get together and see how these families are surrendering to God and God is growing them into the families that he wants them to be. Number two, followers of Jesus should be vigilantly thriving families in this culture. This is how we are salt and light at the same time. The battle lines are being drawn. Families are crumbling all around us. How are you doing with your family? Don't succumb to the pull of culture. Don't succumb to culture telling you how you should raise your family. Go to the one who invented families and figured it out in scripture. God doesn't hide anything from us. If you want to know how to grow your kids up, forget reading the books at Amazon. Start reading the book from God. Satan is crafty. Never be ashamed to find your definitions and your help from the God who created families to begin with. The potential, that, the potential that we have as families is to demonstrate to a confused world what reality of family is all about. So church, begin by living out your marriage vows. If you've got something to fix between you and your spouse, fix it. There's more riding on this than just their bad attitude about your new habit. Fix it. Because your relationship with your spouse, Satan will go after that. I can tell you, Beth and I, we've had some fights, and it's like, how did we ever get from zero to 10 so fast? It's because the minute there's a crack in the door, Satan will push himself in. That's all he needs. So if you're a godly person, man or wife, and you get into that point where it's going from zero to 10, be the spouse God called you to be and shut it down. The easiest way to shut it down is to Humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, easier said than done when you're in the middle, when you're in the heat of battle, isn't it? Live out your marriage vows. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husband. Love your spouse with a godly kind of love. Procreate, fill the earth with God-fearing children. Raise your children as a family God would be proud of. They're not always going to pull it off. They're not always going to be as perfect as Michael standing up here this morning. They're not going to always be the ideal children. You can't do a lot. I'm sorry. You can't guarantee the success of your children to grow up to be lovers of God, but you sure can put a lot of obstacles in their way. Remove the obstacles. Teach your children to value and love God and God's family. Make sure they understand the value and make sure they understand where family began. It's God's business, not culture's. God created it, not culture. God will protect it, not culture. God will give you the tools you need to grow it, not culture. Let's go back to the guy that created it and figure out how to do it right. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for uh, this conversation this morning on family. It's really hard in this culture because families are just crumbling, it seems like, all around us. And yet, deep down in each one of our hearts, we know family is incredibly important. So Father, help us to live out our role in our family as you've called us to live it out. Help us to always, no matter what age we are, Help us to always honor our mothers and fathers. Help us to love our spouses. Help us to submit to one another as you submitted to the Father. And help us to be an example in our ch- with our children. Help us to be an example of those who would live out in obedience a life of of childhood, so that the world around us would understand what a family should look like. I'm almost scared to think of what's going to happen in the next 15 years. So, Father, help us to be diligent in this. Help us to teach it to the next generation. And help us never to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. That brings salvation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This was a hard one, right? I think so. Maybe you don't. You should have wrote it. The difficulty is the way the culture changes. The difficulty is how things are heard, not necessarily how things are written. The hardest thing for us is individuals in a world of broken families is to understand that God is our father. So let me just say this. If you grow up in a crappy family, you're unfortunately a growing majority. If you need a good example of a father or a good example of a parent, I'd encourage you to look at Jesus. I'd encourage you to look at the one we're supposed to call our heavenly father. God wants nothing than our best and his glory. When we give him his glory, we find out what's our best. When we come to communion, it's a reminder to us that our natural instinct is to rebel against the one who loves us. Just like in this world, our our natural action is to rebel against even those who love us here. We have a hard time submitting, especially when we know we're wrong. In our relationship with God the Father, we were wrong. Our sin created a chasm between us and God. There's no way we could get there on our own. But God loved us so much that he created a bridge for us. He created a way for us to be right with him. And the only way he could do it was he had to kill his own son. You want to know who killed Jesus? God did. God the Father brought Jesus to us for the purpose of his death so that we could be right with him. Now that blows me away. Our sin was what caused Jesus to have to die. His perfect blood was shed so that our sins could be covered. It was the only sacrifice that could ever suffice, the only sacrifice that could ever do it. So God gave Jesus to us as a means for us to be right with him. In a very real, real way, church, we crawl to a relationship with the Father over the back of a dying Savior. But the good, thing, the good news is death could not hold him. <laughs> we just sang that this morning. Death couldn't hold him. God raises his son from the dead. And when that happened, we know that we too will raise from the dead son. We have been given just incredible amount from God, haven't we? We are the rebels. He's the one that came for us. We are the ones that offended him. He is the one who loves us. It's, it's an incredible story and we celebrate it every time we get to communion. If you're at home, I encourage you to join us for this. Grab some juice or something out of your fridge. Grab a cracker or a piece of bread. Share it with your family at home. Hang on to it for just a minute. We're all going to partake in a moment together. The bread represents the body that was pierced for us. The blood is represented in the juice that we drink. All of this is because we do this every Sunday to remind ourselves what it took for us to be part of the family of God. We were once enemies of God. Now we are called sons and daughters of God. It's great. It's great. You get more of that in two weeks. Every time we do communion, it's a reminder to that. So join us at home, in-house. You can go forward. There's a, um, a tray up front. Just grab... Um one of the cups in there, there's bread on, on the top, there's juice on the bottom. Hang on to it, just come up and grab it while we're, while we're singing. Hang on to it, go back to your chair, and then I'll come up, I'll read a verse of, of scripture, and then we'll all eat and drink together. The reason we all do this together is because it's a reminder to us we're all in the same boat. All of us need Jesus as our Savior. All of us need the sacrifice to cover our sins. So you'll see the band come up, and when they play, you'll have a chance to come up and and grab these items, take them back to your chair, and then I'll finish up for us in a moment. Before we do any of that, I want to encourage you to just spend a moment with the Lord in your chair uh, at home, in the silence of your chair at home. And if you would just pray to God, and maybe God's spoken to you in a way that you weren't planning on this morning. Maybe he has challenged you in some way this morning. Maybe he has kind of picked apart some of your views of family this morning. Would you just take a moment and just in humility, say, God, teach me what you want me to, te- to know and help me to receive it in humility. And just wait for God to continue the, the, the teaching process. However God has spoken to you this morning, would you just spend a moment thanking him for that and asking him to continue?